When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. Hey everybody, Nick Larson with the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. As always, thank you for listening. We appreciate the uh, outpouring of support that we've had for the podcast, and the feedback and the suggestions that uh, people have provided. Uh, we certainly feel like we're off to a good start with the Project Upland Podcast and we hope to see that continue and, and improve. So uh, thanks to all of our listeners out there. I just finished up recording the interview with our guests and I will transition to that very quickly. First of all, I just wanted to say that I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday uh, as I did. I hope you spent time with family and friends and even maybe made it out into uh, to do some upland hunting. I was fortunate enough to do all three of those things. I had an excellent weekend and uh, I certainly hope the same is true for all of you, the listener. Uh, I'll throw in a quick reminder, uh, for anybody listening, uh, we've got the promo code for Gumleaf Boots, gumleafusa.com, free shipping on anything you order from them, uh, until December 31st, so it's the holiday season, if anybody's looking for an awesome pair of, uh, I'd say mainly grouse and woodcock hunting boots, um, if you're, uh, if you find yourself spending a lot of time in wet areas, uh, they're not for everybody, certainly. Uh, we talked to Bob McMichael of chuckerculture.com last week. He hunts chucker in the mountains. I don't 
really foresee him wearing a pair of gum leaf boots. But uh, the guys that I talked to today, they hunt grouse and woodcock in Minnesota. They would do very well in a pair of gum leaf boots. Uh, so keep that in mind. But if you are interested in at all in gum leaf boots, uh, they are definitely worth checking out. And being a Project Up and listener, we'll give you a promo code. It's PU2017, PU2017, free shipping on anything from gumleafusa.com until December 31st. So check those out. They're great. I have a pair and I love them. Uh, there's a review on the website if you want to find out more, and I'm happy to answer questions on them as well. All right, with that said, I won't waste any more of your time. We'll get right to the episode. This week, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, a couple of guys that I consider friends. Uh, I've known them for a few years now, and I've gotten to hunt with them uh, and spent some time in the woods with them, all that good stuff. And I know these guys to be uh, true to their word. Uh, they do some very cool stuff in the upland hunting universe, if you will. And they are also featured on the latest release from Project Upland, which would be the film Timber Rocket. If you haven't seen it yet, it was released earlier this week, and it features three brothers from, I guess you could call it central or north central Minnesota, uh, Aaron, Adam, and Abe Regeer. They are grouse and woodcock hunters at heart, at their core. Um, They really are opportunists. Uh, They live in in an area that I consider uh, pretty much an outdoorsman's paradise you know be it fishing um, upland hunting whitetail deer hunting you know they have access to a lot of things and they certainly take advantage of many of those things but their true passion uh, pretty much lies in uh, in upland hunting and uh, they have developed modern wild which is essentially a lifestyle brand if you will uh, we talk about it on the show today, so if you're not familiar with them, you'll learn a little bit more about it from uh, from Aaron and Adam. But uh, they started selling hats and patches and lots of Upland apparel and sort of Upland uh, merchandise. And then that was kind of one prong of their approach. But then they're also huge on photography, and now they're getting into video, which we talk about on today's episode. And they really kind of they they dabble in a lot of things, and it all is is it stems from really just their passion for the sport and their uh, desire to share it with people. And that is very evident if you watch the Project Dublin film Timber Rocket. You'll get a sense of it there. And you'll get a sense of it in in the interview that I did with Adam and Aaron today. Um, so I don't really think I need to say anything more about it. I think you'll you'll you've either seen it in the Project Dublin film, or you'll hear it straight from the guys on the interview today. So with that said, let's dive right into it and let's welcome Aaron and Adam Regeer of Modern Wild to the Project Upland podcast. All right, and we are now joined by the boys from Modern Wild. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, guys. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having us. And so we've got uh, we've got Aaron and Adam Regeer, two of uh, two of the brothers from Modern Wild. Uh, both of you guys are, are joining us tonight to uh, 
talk a little bit about Modern Wild and uh, some of the work that you've done with Project Upland. We had a we had a film release this week. Uh, I know that's been getting uh, getting lots of shares and lots of views, and so people are pretty excited about that. It's a really cool film, I thought. Um, before we before we dive into all that stuff, let's talk about the real important stuff. What uh, have you guys been out in the woods lately? You've been doing some bird hunting. Yeah, we've been out a couple of times last couple of weekends up in northern Minnesota here, and and with the lack of snow, it's been really great hunting. We've we've done really well, and surprisingly, with the late season birds, we've had great dog work too. It's just been a lot of fun. All the dogs getting on all cylinders, and you kind of reap the benefits of that early season of working the dogs and holding them accountable and stuff, and now everything's firing on all cylinders. So it's been a lot of fun. Adam and the boys have been out with me a couple times, too, and, yeah, we've, we've done really good taking lots of footage and stuff, so it's been a good fall, arguably better than early. Yeah, I uh, I would would definitely echo that sentiment myself. It's, it's, I'm, I'm really itching to get back out there, um, as we had chatted about a little bit, just because, yeah, I feel like, the birds are, you know, entirely. Well, actually, you, you mentioned it before we before we hit record here, but starting to see the birds grouping back up a little bit, and that actually uh, oh. that sort of uh, ties into what um, Ann Jandernaw was saying on the podcast that I did with her. That that when you get past sort of the peak of the season, you get into later season, you'll start to see some grouping. Um, yep. And so I've I've seen that too. But yeah, definitely the the second half of the season, uh, we had some, you know, you and I hunt pretty much hunt similar similar areas minnesota I, I get over into wisconsin a little bit but we saw some tough conditions early with with yeah. you know a lot of heat in those first couple weeks and there was people scratching their heads wondering where the birds were and that sort of thing but but i definitely agree i've seen a seen an improvement uh second half of the season talk a little bit about you mentioned you know when the snow hits you start to see, you know, it changes the game for hunting, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to describe, but I, it changes the game for me, too, and you kind of hinted at it. So talk a little bit about, you know, the, that transition when, you know, when we, we get these late seasons and there's and you don't have any snow, it's like, it feels like bonus time, really. Yeah, definitely. It, you know, once the snow hits, for me anyway, up in northern Minnesota here, uh, we typically what I'll see is they start to really focus on the, the catkins a lot, and then you kind of eliminate the green from their diet basically because all that ground scratch junk is pretty much gone. And so we we tend to find them way more in the the I actually find more in the birch and a little bit more in the alders later, but it seems like it's it's more of the food the forage that's really above ground is what they're after. And so normally, you know, in the middle of the season, they're eating a, a surprising amount of greens. And, and the birds that we've been taking the last couple of weeks have still been producing a lot of greens in the crops and stuff. And, you know, clover and stuff still in play and all that. And as soon as that snows on the ground, it just seems like they're up in the trees eating buds or eating catkins and stuff like that. And and so it just changes the cover type because they're, they're looking for different stuff more. And then also, too, just the ground cover itself, it's like, the snow covers up that little bit of grass and those knockdown ferns and stuff, and it's like they don't feel comfortable in some of their normal areas. And so we tend to see them more in um, just more of that, like the oaks and the actually ironwood stuff that holds their leaves longer, the, the scrub oaks and stuff. We see way more birds in that stuff later, where, and bogs too where there's taller grass. But, yeah, a combination of cover and food seems like it really kind of kicks them out into different areas and, 
And then, like you were mentioning, they seem like they group up quite a bit. Later, too, you start to see those early season broods. I, uh, last weekend, we moved a, a group of about eight birds all together, and just, all seemed to be young birds, but but um, guaranteed they weren't grouped up like that, you know, three, four weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's, it's always, always interesting to see, you know, how each season progresses, and, and we never really know sort of when the when the time is going to run out for us, you know, we got, we got hit with some yep. early snow this year and that was interesting. And it kind of, you know, we had the little breather with deer seasons, but now we fortunately had some warmer weather. And I think, you know, I still have some snow in the yard here in Duluth, but I know for the most part, a lot of areas, um, especially where I'm going to be this weekend are, I think the snow is pretty much gone. So as we were kind of talking about, this is looking like, perhaps one of the one of the last best weekends to be out with yep. some warmer temps and and the conditions yes. so i think it'll be a good one now aside from the grouse hunting i know you guys got down to southwestern minnesota or at least southern minnesota a little bit to do some pheasant hunting um how was that for you uh we actually didn't do minnesota we were in north dakota um we were thinking about going to southern minnesota but we never ended up making it but um, we went to went to central eastern North Dakota, and it was pretty pretty scarce. We went over there in the middle of a blizzard, um, basically, and it was it, like we literally drove out there, um, and everything was brown and beautiful and just great. And we hit the the line North Dakota Minnesota border, and the snow started. And we woke up the next morning for our weekend, and there was a foot of snow on the ground where we were. And wow. it was like a centralized blizzard, basically, because we got about an hour away from our area where we were hunting on our way out three days later, and it was like minimal snow, very little snow. So we kind of hit it wrong, but but there were a few birds. We saw some sharp tails. We saw some some pheasants and connected on a couple birds. But but it was it was pretty slim pickings, aside from seeing all the the migrating waterfall and stuff. But but uh, it was fun, but, yeah, the bird numbers were definitely lacking what we were hoping for, but we'll see. I've heard Minnesota's been pretty pretty sparse. You have to work for them, get down in the, in the swamps and stuff. Sure. Yep. Yeah, that, that, uh, like that sort of, uh, you know, you got whacked a little bit with conditions there, but, but again, uh, I know the expectations for the pheasant season were a little bit lower this year, but, but I think the... Yep. Kind of the general consensus was that you know if you put the if you put the time in you'll uh, you'll get into some birds and and I think people have been finding that. Yeah, they're um, definitely there. Okay, uh, we'll transition a little bit here. I want to get uh, kind of both of your takes on sort of your uh, sort of your upland story. Um, you know, you guys are you guys are obviously very deep into. The upland hunting world community, you know, it's a it's a big passion of yours. Obviously, it takes up a lot of your time and enough so to sort of motivate you to start Modern Wild and everything that comes along with that. So, from a from a personal perspective, um, to from where it began to where you are today, um, kind of share your upland story. I don't know, Aaron, if you want to start, and then and then Adam can jump in and kind of kind of add his as well. I think that'd be be cool to hear. Yeah, kind of the. I guess I'll do kind of an abbreviated version, but but um, we I grew up hunting pheasants in southern Minnesota, and and always loved it, and ended up moving away 
up to northern Minnesota in the grouse country and kind of a totally different ball game. And it really, you know, kind of like lit my fire because the pheasant hunting thing was uh, more mechanical, I guess. And I got into the to the grouse woods and it just, I don't know, it was a whole nother level there. And bird numbers were high, so it was enough to light, light the fire under me. But but uh, that, as as the, every probably every upland hunter's story goes, you get into a few birds and see some dogs work, and then next thing you know, you've got a dog, and then next thing you know, you've got two dogs, and next <laughs> thing you know, you've got three dogs, <laughs> and uh, it kind of goes from there. But but um, you know, hunting over my first setter the first season, just I mean, you're you're hooked instantly. Couple couple days out, and it's just it's all over from there. So we. We kind of got our fire lit for upland hunting uh, quite a bit between Adam and Abe and I, and the dogs really got us into it, obviously. And um, we just kind of, as we hunted, we, you know, as far as relating to modern wild and what we did, um, we just kind of liked and we enjoyed sharing what we did. And, and, uh, you know, it was relatively early. There weren't a lot of guys, you know, you guys, Nick and Garrett, you guys were out there and and a few other guys that were doing some stuff and um, just you know, sharing cool content and stuff. That was kind of the initial motivation. And then we kind of were like, you know, there's no, there's no real good upland swag out there, you know, way back then. You just couldn't find a cool, you know, grouse hat or a cool pheasant hat, really. I mean, there was some, but it was pretty limited. And so um, we looked and looked, and eventually we kind of just were like, you know, I'm going to make some stuff for myself. This is, I want to have something cool. And I just didn't like anything that was out there. And, uh, Next thing you know, you know, you get somebody that says, hey, I want to have a hat like that. Could you, where do you get it? You know, and next thing you know, you're making a hat for a buddy. And then next thing you know, you're making a hat for his buddies. And all of a sudden you got people calling you up to buy them and stuff like that. And it just kind of just snowballed from there. Um, you know, combination of both the, the hats and the, you know, all that stuff. And then just the content and stuff. The content's really what motivates us and, um, we love the pictures and the artistic side of it and create, creative side of it. And, um, that's really what pushes us. And, and it's kind of a whole other application of that, doing the apparel and all the stuff that we've been doing the last couple of years. So just kind of gone from there. And Adam's been kind of with me every step of the way. I'll let him kind of take over what his deal is with everything. Cool. Uh, my, uh, introduction to the upland hunting world is, I don't think a lot of people had the luxury that I did, but and I had a big brother, and I had my dad, and I remember being four or five years old, and um, following them, wasn't old enough to carry a gun at the time, but following them when the grass was taller than my head through prairie grass, you know, after the southern Minnesota pheasants back when the hunting was a lot better, and I remember following them doing that, I remember... Um, them throwing burlap camo sacks over my head and following them as they'd spot and stock whitetail hunt in the fields. And um, that's really where it started for me. And I didn't get out bird hunting till I was 10 years old. They bought me a single shot 20 gauge youth uh, Remington and it was the thing kicked like a mule. And um, that first year we went, I got my first pheasant and I was a, uh, that was when it all started for me and when I really started enjoying it. But we ended up moving up to the grouse woods, and I kind of fell out of it in high school. And I did some musky fishing and everything. But when I got out of high school, I uh, remember 
going on Instagram and everything and remembering some of those old days of following Aaron and my dad around and I just a new fire was lit for the outdoors and in general and at the time it wasn't particularly grouse hunting but uh, it was more just the rolling with the Minnesota seasons and I enjoyed going out looking for blackberries and in the summer you know fly fishing in the spring you get bird hunting and deer hunting in the fall in the winter you got ice fishing and snowshoe hare hunting it was just like there's something in every season something I always look forward to and that was kind of what I really was interested in and and uh then we ended up picking up setters and um I remember that was kind of when I really got passionate about photography that's kind of my thing that's where I kind of fit into the modern wild uh pictures I I've been uh doing photography and film for as long as I can remember um particularly photography film's kind of a little bit newer for me but um I just picked up the camera and a lot of times I'd just would, I'd have my gun but it practically might as well not have been loaded because I'd just be taking pictures all the time and and that for me is almost just as fun as shooting a bird is taking pictures of those moments and uh, yeah just that's really where I'm at now and and I love upland hunting but modern wild for me anyways is all about you know capturing those moments with content I mean whether it's pictures or articles or uh, video um, that's what it's about rolling with the seasons and capturing it and there's always something always something out there to uh, capture your imagination yeah, very cool, Adam. That's uh, I know that I know from from talking to AJ, and uh, and I actually you know you and I we got we got out in the woods for a day earlier this year. Um, yep. You've kind of you've kind of taken on that that role as as far as really really putting the camera to work out in the field, and you guys have done some neat stuff. You you put out a uh, a film earlier this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stab at the title. Was it Trilliums of Trout? Yeah, it was of trilliums and trout. It was just a. It was actually my first experience shooting with a DSLR camera, and it was just some uh, different footage I took over the spring, and it was really my first stab at uh, editing on professional software and using good footage. But yeah, it was like two and a half minutes or something like that, and it was a pretty cool little little thing. It was my first edited little short, so that was kind of cool. Yeah, yep. That's that's kind of where I was getting at. It's uh, I thought it was it was it was neat, and you guys you, you really pitched it as as that kind of a kind of your first first go at it, and I thought it was neat, and you know you could see where you know some of the influences that you had taken, and it was very uh, visually striking, um, you know, to some kind of thematic music and and very cool. But um, as far as the Project Upland Timber Rocket film, you know, it was it was much more than then, you know, AJ and the Project Upland guys just coming out and filming you guys hunting. I mean, it was really a collaboration project. I mean, you, you guys were involved with the film, and and I, were you doing some filming and some photography at that time as well, Adam? Yeah, I, there was a point in time as we were filming, filming Timber Rocket, I think it was on the our last day, um, what we film with AJ? Was it like six hours total or something across yeah. two days? <clears throat> yep. And so the first day was pretty short, short day, and then the second day I think we got out for three hours. And uh, by the end of the first or 
right around the halfway point, AJ was like, I got everything I need. And he was like, can I, he's like, oh, can I have a gun? Does anyone want to use my camera? Because <laughs> he wanted to <laughs> shoot something. And I was like, yeah, I'll take the camera. I'd never, I'd never filmed with a uh, DSLR at that point. And uh, so I took it and um, did some filming and just applied a lot of the stuff that I've learned through photography and then uh, took some pictures as well. And I know that a few of the um, shots that I did, I could see in the film, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, I would imagine that's that's uh, very cool to to sort of see some of that stuff that you that you captured to you know make it into a, a product up on film, which which I you know I'm biased, but I I think they they hold a pretty uh, pretty high regard amongst people that are that are watching the films and and they're they're of a, a certain quality level that. Um, you know, it's it's kind of set a bar in in certain facets, and and uh, yeah, I would imagine that that you guys are were happy to be a part of it. Talk a, a little bit about the film. I know this was filmed um, last year, last fall in October. I mean, it, you guys really had some prime conditions, and and I know from talking to AJ that things went well as far as you know. It's a it's a big deal when you wanna you wanna get a film like this. You need. I mean, ultimately, Project Upland films are not about killing birds, but we still, when those films happen, you still want to have. You want to get every element of the hunt. And as anybody knows, that is a wild upland bird hunter. You know, there's no guarantees in upland bird hunting, and so to be able to go out and and capture all those elements and, and have enough stuff to put together, you know, a seven-minute film. I mean, it's not an easy accomplishment. But just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your experience with, with AJ last year and, and filming the Timber Rocket film. Yeah, it's, well, just like you said, the and anybody who runs out the camera or a GoPro or whatever knows how hard it is to get a grouse kill on video. I mean, it's just not something that's just that easy. Um, sure, you can have the film when it's going and when it happens, but to get it in shot, I mean, it's as, as it's probably more of a testament to the filmer um, than the person actually hunting, and, and that's one thing I will say is a ton of credit to AJ as far as some of the stuff that he got and just where being in the right position and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty wild. Um, that he could do it. I mean, it's as much skill doing that as more skill doing that than than shooting it with a gun, you know. But um, yeah, it was a, it was a challenge, and you know, as uh, you know, it's with the planning it out, game planning, like you said, you it's not you know it's not going to make or break the film, and that's not what it's about the kills or whatever. But you go into it trying to obviously have success, and we with with everything that uh, happened leading up to it, and with uh, with AJ, um, when he came out, he, he had a lot of obligations too. So we didn't have as much time as what we were expecting to get out in the woods. And so we were kind of on a limited, a limited window. And then we also, yeah. And then also we, you know, we were, it was kind of coordinated around the rough grouse society hunt up in Grand Rapids too. And so we only had a couple of days up there and we couldn't run back and forth with AJ cause we had such a limited time to go anywhere familiar um, and so we were really winging it. We kind of just drove around with them on the spot and we're like, uh, this spot looks good. Let's go here. <laughs> and so <laughs> we, we were making, truly making it up as we went along and, you know, found ourselves wading through a swamp at one point trying to find a bird. 
Um, and we ended up pulling it together. Thankfully, the birds cooperated and the dogs did a good job. Um, and we hit a, you know, between a couple, two, three spots over, like Adam said, probably six hours or so and over a couple of days. You know, we were able to get a few good opportunities. And like I said, AJ, AJ really brought his A game and, um, made, had some really great shots. So, so it was pretty cool. It was, everything kind of came together. And, you know, you, as, as you know, as well as anybody, Nick, you know, any, any upland hunter out there, um, the grouse don't always cooperate and you can do everything right and it just doesn't matter sometimes. <laughs> and thankfully we kind of got lucky too, you know, and had, had some birds cooperate for us. So, yeah, it, it worked out anyway. Yep, I uh, I know very well uh, where you guys are coming from with that. It's you know <laughs> we could go on and on all day about about grouse not cooperating for for hunters, but you know throw a couple cameras in the mix and and and, yeah. a, and a few dogs and try to try to line everything up and you know it's it's one thing you know it's one thing to first of all encounter a grouse you know have your dog point it, but then to be able to approach it approach the point the right way as a gunner and you know and credit again to you know to aj and kyle the two guys that do most of the filming for project up they've they learned very quickly uh how to how to stay as close to the as close as they can to the gunner and get right over his shoulder without you know bumping into him and, yep. and you know you throw some throw some your standard grouse cover in the mix and it makes things not any easier that's for sure and yep. then to have to have everything Everything happened all at once, and 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 keeping in frame. You know, there's always a. I've, I've been out a couple of times now on on fi, you know filmed hunts with Project Upland, and there's always like I've been the gunner and I've been kind of the witness, and I've had the camera in my hand too. And you know, it's it's if the bird gets up and somebody actually shoots it, there's always kind of that pause, and and everybody turns to the guy with the camera and says, "Did you get it?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, and when he uh, when he smiles, you know, you know, he got it, and and yeah, it's very cool. And and then obviously when when it all you know gets put back onto the computer and and gets laced together and edited and and it looks really cool, um, which is obviously the goal when AJ's putting these films together. But I think what it does is you know it it replicates an experience that so many people that have experienced it for themselves can identify with and you know we're going to be we're going to be in the legitimate off season here pretty soon and it's just that kind of stuff to to sort of get you through those the the off season lulls and and for people to be able to watch and look at that stuff and identify with it because they've experienced it themselves i mean it's it's pretty powerful stuff i think yeah definitely it's it's uh, that's what Adam and I always we judge uh, the videos and the and the shots are um, like we we would look back at the video after AJ released it you know we watched it and kind of revisited it again and and uh, we always talk about how it's it's cool when you as a grouse hunter you start watching it and you literally like it's almost like you feel like you're there like you're a part of it and that's when it gets to be really cool especially like you said moving into the off season um, those kind of videos are are nice to be able to go back to and kind of get a little bit of that flavor and make it through another half a year before the next season rolls in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, so the, you know, for, for listeners, if, if they maybe haven't seen it, the, the Timber Rocket Project Upland film is definitely available right now. It's, it's on the Project Upland website. It's been shared a bunch on Facebook. If you haven't seen it, 
you want to check it out. It's it's really a, it's really a story behind the Regeer brothers, Aaron and Adam, with us, and, and Abe's not on the interview tonight, but uh, it's three of you guys and um, kind of your story behind Modern Wild and uh, and 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 your passion for upland hunting, and it's all tied together. Uh, in a very cool, very cool project up on film, so people should definitely check that out. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about Modern Wild because I'm familiar with it just because, as you had kind of mentioned, you know, Garrett, my friend, and I got in touch with you a few years back, sort of uh, via the Instagram thing, and just sort of, you know, you were a you were a grouse hunter, we were a grouse hunter, and it was kind of that time where a lot of people were connecting on social media and and we actually came out and hunted with you and and had a good time and you know you can tell like if you spend you spend five minutes in the woods with somebody and you can just kind of tell that you know they're you can tell what kind of person they are what kind of grouse hunter they are and and you just sort of have that sort of that instant bond really and i think we I think garrett and i both felt that way with with you guys um but so i guess where i was going with that is I'm familiar with Modern Wild. I've kind of seen it from from the beginning, and you know, you started making patches and hats and stickers, and and you were always always producing content with photography and some blog posts. But give us a sense of sort of. I know it's not. I don't think it's a full time business or job for any of you guys yet. You know, it's a it's a side hustle or a it's a passion. You know, labor of love that kind of thing. Just give us a sense of where you guys are at with it, and maybe. Of all the different things that you do, what's where is kind of your main focus right now? Yeah, we, you know, it's like you said, it's it's not a full time job for anybody really. It's it's just kind of a, I guess I like to call it an excuse to do what we like to do. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's a lot more fun, you know, to know that well, you know, what we got to go grouse hunting because we got to get some really good video today, you know, and stuff like that. And and you know, it's a, it's a really good excuse to do some of that stuff. Um, like I said uh, before, you know, a lot of it was we just wanted to have some cool stuff, and there wasn't a lot available, and so we're just kind of I'm I'm very much a DIY kind of person, um, and if there's something out there that I think that I can improve upon, like I'm all for that, and so um, yeah, like you said, we started just making making some hats and patches and slings things, and and like I said, really was not out of any desire to make a business out of it or anything like that. It was just getting some cool stuff for us and and also a creative outlet more than anything and it kind of just snowballed and you know we just have a lot of fun with it um like you do the hats and do the apparel and do the decals and um like you said we do some some writing and stuff as well and then as adam said we're doing a lot more video um stuff like that a lot of a lot of photography I, i've always been an artist do painting and stuff like that and that's not so much connected with modern wild but it kind of gives you a, a flavor of our background um and you know we, we definitely aim to keep on doing it we we uh again not a full-time job so we try to squeeze everything in and, and as life goes things are busy and adam has kids and there's a lot going on and stuff so um, you know, we, we hit it while we can and, and, you know, maybe someday it'll, it'll be able to be more of a full-time type of a deal to really let us go after it. Um, we do, we do as much as we can. We, we definitely lean, we always do the hats and the apparel and stuff, but, but we've been really kind of, um, 
pushing in the direction of doing more film. Adam's been really into that uh, this last couple of years, um, and we're starting to kind of get some of the equipment and stuff together. And, and we actually got a lot of footage this fall, um, a lot high quality, a lot more high quality footage, not just the average uh, GoPro cell phone stuff, but some some good stuff. And uh, like I mentioned to you, Nick, uh, before we before we went on the podcast, uh, we just actually last weekend, this last weekend, we were out with uh, some family and. And managed to get a really good grouse kill on video and stuff. So that all that stuff's kind of coming for the future, and we have lots of plans to do that way more in the future. And and related to you know fly fishing, we like Adam mentioned too, we're very seasonal in what we do in the outdoors. Um, I'm definitely more through and through upland. Um, Adam tends to do a lot more fly fishing and really enjoy that. But but the cool part about that is is that it pulls everybody out of their, their element and we do stuff that's in season. And so we'll, like he said, we'll be out chasing snowshoes over January and February and steelhead in the spring and muskies in the summer and, you know, bass and stuff. And so we, we don't limit it to any one thing. We, we just like to go out outdoors and, and kind of document it as we go. And hopefully, you know, it, people enjoy it. You know, we, we, we always like to think that people enjoy some of the stuff that we put out and, and it kind of fuels us to really try to do it more. Um, but whether it's upland hunting or fishing or whatever, you know, we just kind of, we just like to be outside, you know, and enjoy it. It's like most, most outdoorsmen. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, uh, that's kind of the cool, one of the cool aspects of modern wild is that, you know, you are, you are, you know, kind of three brothers and you, you have your, you have your similarities, but you also have your differences and your skill sets and, and Adam's kind of taken to the, taken to the video thing a lot. And, and I, I always, Dot, you know, one of the one of the really neat things about some of the I don't know what you're what you're doing today, but I, at least in the beginning, I would imagine you're probably doing the same thing. You were making you were you know your first kind of stickers and your patches and stuff. You were basically you were hand making that stuff with a machine. You weren't like having them, you know, outsourced by a third party. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. Is that what you're still doing? Yeah, actually, currently we're I'm I'm looking at upgrading some equipment and stuff. But yeah, originally, you know, I just threw threw a little bit of money down and got a you know essentially a home embroidery machine and just started like playing around with it, get the you know get the software for it, and and it's not cheap or whatever. But I just was like, I'm gonna do this and figured it all out and and uh, yeah, basically just we literally make patches ourselves. Uh, we affix them to the hats ourselves and, um, like all of our decals and all that stuff. We, we all essentially get all those die cut ourselves. We don't send any of that out to do any of that stuff. And, um, we're going to get some bigger equipment and, and get things rolling a little bit more, a little more sophisticated so it doesn't take quite so much time <laughs> and it's, it's inefficient. But, but, um, but yeah, we, we do it all ourselves and that's kind of how it started and it still is that way. Um, we like to keep it that way, but, you know, time consuming with the small time stuff, but but hence we're gonna get that that equipment. That'll help out a lot. Be able to do some more stuff. Excellent. Yeah, I know. Um, I've been. I was. I I think about this like you know every once in a while it pops in my head like I need to go order some of these, and then now every time I watch the Timber Rocket film, I see the the Minnesota Rough Country stickers. I love those. Those are yeah. those are my favorite stickers. So I need I have to get a Minnesota Rough Country and a Wisconsin Rough Country because I'm kind of got my foot on oh, it's low, one, yeah. one foot on both sides of the border. So I gotta I gotta get two of those stickers. So you'll you'll be seeing that <laughs> you'll be seeing are they are they available right now? I haven't checked your Etsy store in a while. Um, you know, <laughs> I I couldn't even tell you because 
Um, <laughs> because we, I mean, they are, but, but, uh, I just have been just letting it go. We've been so busy, um, with, uh, not just the, our orders and stuff, obviously moving into the holidays too, but, um, yeah. with our modern wild orders and stuff, but just all of our lives or whatever, we've just been so busy that we've just been letting stuff, you know, all of our inventory and stuff just kind of sell. And I haven't gone in and recharged any inventory anywhere. And it just, people just keep finding things that are still available and, and stuff. But we had our Etsy stores tempor- temporarily closed. Um, we haven't opened it up just because we were getting so many orders. We needed to kind of throttle it down a little bit. And so right now we're just primarily selling on our website, uh, themodernwild.com. And, um, that's where most of the stuff is. And that's where we'll, we'll probably tend to lean more in the future just because, you know, like I said, it's, it's more of a hobby and, a side deal than anything else, and and so we're not looking to sell you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things a week or anything, but but um but but yeah, that's they should be up there, but you know you you know who to talk to if you need some stuff. <laughs> I think you could probably send some your way. Yeah, yeah, I, I know uh, I know who to get in touch with uh, if that is the case, but yeah, that's you know that's a good problem for you guys to have. I uh, I've dabbled a little bit, you know, with some uh, I was doing some Upland Elite stuff. For a little mm-hmm. while, selling some hats and patches, and and you know the demand was there, but I just you know I like you guys. I have a full time job, and and now yep. I'm doing stuff for Project Upland, and it's just I don't want to be spread, you know. And it's hunting season, and you've got families, and you're trying to you don't want to be spread too thin. Um, yep. You know, as as fun as all this stuff is, if you if you're a mile wide and an inch deep. You're not really, you know, you might be doing a lot of different things, but are you doing any of them really well? So you, you got to be careful with that. So I, I definitely understand where you guys are coming from with that. You wanna, you wanna pick the the few things that you wanna focus on and do them very well. So I get that. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of one of our mottos. That's we we like to, uh, or at least my motto anyway. I, I hate doing something if I can't do it well, and it kills me when I have in, inventory going down and stuff like that. But, but, um, but yeah, you just you want to be able to to keep up with it and keep people happy and stuff. So, and, uh, same thing with the hunting, like to, we always try to pick one thing during a season and just stick with it so that you, like you said, you can do it well and enjoy it. And you're not, you're not running around chasing your own tail, trying to do everything. Yeah. We got dogs that can do that for us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right. I'm glad you mentioned earlier the, uh, the epic grouse kill that you got on, on film. I know, I would imagine we'll see that at some point, but I thought of something when you when you brought it up again. Tell us about what makes it such an epic grouse kill. What happened in order for you to capture that on film? Yeah, that's a that's a really good uh, good thing to describe or whatever. Just um, you know, you've seen everybody's seen you know million grouse kills, and and I'm guessing that you know ninety ninety five percent of the people that would watch if I put it up now would watch it and say, well, I've seen better ones over here, over there. And, and, um, for us, it's, it's cool because of the sequence and everything that goes into it. Also the fact that we were able to get it on some nice camera gear, um, and, and good setting. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a nice, clear, just a high quality video. And that's, that's yeah. great. Not, not everybody has the luxury to have, um, high quality video and stuff. And, and so that's a, that's a feed in itself just because there's not a lot of people out there with that. But, but um, we were able to do it, and and like you said, uh, really the this one in particular, which yeah, we will definitely have it out. We're we're trying to get uh, we're going to edit something up. We're hoping to release uh, kind of a similar, it's kind of a Project Upland esque 
type of a film, you know, like we've done uh, several videos in the past, but we've always done it very casually. Um, but we want to do one that's not, not so highlight really, um, kill reel type stuff and a little bit more, maybe a little more meaningful, a little more artistic. Um, and this will definitely make it into that unless we do really well the rest of the season here. Who knows? But, but, um, but anyway, what, what makes this particular one that we got just this last week nice was, um, we got the bird, you know, taking off basically, um, and it was unintentional. And and for us, it would always be meaningful because we knew that everything went into that film. Um, but Adam was able to get the bird taking off. We had um, Sora, my youngest English setter. She was on point and had the initial locate. Uh, Ren came on a nice cut across uh, on film and actually locked up on the bird as well. She didn't even know Sora was in there. Um, and so she, we had a double point basically on the same bird, and the bird still was there. Uh, and then as I approached... Uh, my the second dog, Ren, because the bird had moved out from Sora. As I approached uh, that point, uh, Adam was over my right shoulder and was able to get the grouse lifting off on the other side of a log, so he has it on the initial takeoff. And it goes pretty aerial, and then he, as the bird's flying out, he's panning across my left shoulder as I'm training my, my uh, side-by-side on him. And we get the, the shot on video, too, and it was close enough that it's you know, you could see the bird and see it helicopter down and stuff. And and uh, so it was just a really nice, crisp, close one. But because of how close Adam was and and just the way, I don't know, the, the cropping of everything and how, how it was centered on the cameras and different things like that, just really makes it feel like you're there and you're part of it. And that's really for us. That's what we, we try to shoot for is to try to make it, you know, feel like, hey, you're, you're, you're a part of it if you're just viewing the video. And, and we talked about that earlier and, and just that's that's a that's a cool for us that's a cool video if you know and, and AJ is so good at that too where he can just like you said get close to the shooter not too close but you know really make the viewer a part of it and that's that's what we aim to do all the time and and uh, it's it's rough like we said too before it ain't easy putting a grouse kill on video and it's hard enough if you just walk out with a camera let alone if you're trying to get the shooter and the and the bird and everything, and the dogs all, you know, in the frame at some point. It's pretty hard. Adam Adam did an awesome job. He was definitely on his A-game last weekend. So, so yeah, we're looking forward to putting that together and, and getting it out. But, but um, yeah, it's it was, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll get a bunch more yet, too. So Excellent. Yeah, that's uh, it definitely, uh, it sounds exciting the way that you describe it. I can, uh, I can kind of picture it. It sounds very cool. That'll be, uh, that'll be cool to see. Um it kind of makes me think of something that I think would be a good discussion to have with you guys because I think we've talked about it a little bit and you guys really sort of hinted at it um, in the Timber Rocket film, and that is allowing technology into uh, something you know so traditional and so timeless uh, like upland hunting allowing technology into it and everybody has different levels of acceptance for this and it this is not to say you know what is the right amount or what is the wrong amount it you know overall obviously everybody's going to have their own tolerance for technology but i know that me personally and and you guys especially have have found a way to allow technology into your upland hunting to not only improve your upland hunting and, and improve your productivity and your effectiveness, but also your enjoyment of it. And I think the enjoyment part is what it really hinges on for me 
uh, you know, if I'm doing something, whether it's mapping with my phone or recording statistics or whatever it is, you know, if you're not enjoying that and it feels like a chore, then obviously cut that out because at the end of the day, the point is to be there yourself, experience it, be in the moment and live that stuff for yourself. You know, you can get so far removed if you start thinking about taking pictures and video and, you know, there's a there's a fine line there that, you know, you have to live this stuff and experience it yourself. But if you can if you can find enjoyment out of capturing that stuff so you can relive it again and again and again, that can be beneficial not only to you guys but to others. But just talk a little bit about sort of that, you know, that interesting dynamic uh, technology and, and upland hunting and how you guys sort of incorporate it. Yeah, we, we're definitely all about technology. You know, obviously we're a little younger guys like you, and, and so we grew up with it. And so for us it's probably a little easier to accept than some people. But, you know, for us it's we have a – really deep appreciation for the history of it and we love you know in regards to upland hunting specifically um we really enjoy the history of it and appreciate a lot of the you know the old timers out there that have really kind of uh broke the trail with all this stuff in regards to upland hunting and dog training and and all this stuff and um we appreciate that we have a have a you know it's a lot of respect for that but at the same time um you know, as younger people coming in, especially in, you know, in today's world where you look at conserving the future and also uh, promoting the sport and, and just all those political elements of it or whatever you want to call it, um, technology, and that's kind of what got us started with the Modern Wild stuff, is is this a really cool way to promote it? And I mean, talking specifically about social media and, and stuff like that, it's just a great way to expose other people um, that maybe don't get to go out and ex- and experience that, or you know, make the make the sport of upland hunting way more accessible, especially for you know the younger generation or anybody for that matter. Um, and that's really one of our main motivations to to u- utilize technology is just recognizing that that's you know what the world is today, and so so you need to to hit on that to really have a future in the sport, you know, in, in upland hunting, pheasants and grouse and all that, and quail and stuff. Um, so that's been kind of our primary motivation. But then as you as you do it, you know, you, you learn to enjoy certain parts of it, like the filming part of it. I know Adam really likes it, and I'll let him talk about that. But, like, just as an, as an example of, of him, um, last weekend when he, we came out, we got that kill. You know, before we went out, I'm like, all right, what gun do you want, Adam? And he's like, uh, you know, I think I'm just going to bring the camera. You know, and for him, it's like... It's it's as much fun or more fun for him to take the camera out and try to shoot birds with that or the film and the area you know the whole experience than actually just taking a gun shooting a bird and so and that's that's really cool because obviously it works hand in hand with promoting the promoting some films and getting some stuff like that um, because he is you know it's not it's not a job like you said it's not work and you're not you know disliking going out in the woods to do this stuff and and you know as far as hunting aids you know like. I know you like your your uh, Garmin Alpha, your you know your GPS unit, and yeah. um, I, this year I finally bit the bullet and I'm like I'm gonna get a GPS uh, unit, and and I never had an issue with the GPS units specifically, but I always saw a lot of problems with them and thought that they'd be a headache and all that, and, and ended up taking one out in the woods this year, and and like you said the the level that it can really improve your experience out there as far as um, even, you know, I'm, I'm relatively experienced with my dogs and knowing, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with them. I know how they work and I know that I'm not going to lose them and stuff like that. But having that GPS collar on them, it gives you a lot more, 
comfortability or whatever you want to call it to to just let them hunt and go out and hunt. You're not worried about trying to make sure they're not going too far or whatever. You just kind of have a little bit more freedom with it and can kind of just go out and and uh, just hunt and that's you know that's one example of like a technology that that I know some old timers just basically scoff at that you know you can't use that kind of stuff and and stuff like that but but from a dog training perspective and and dog work and actually enjoying a hunt out there sure you can do it with a bell and you can do it with a beeper collar or whatever somebody deems acceptable um and it's all fine I've used them all and and have no problem with anything but but like this year, that was kind of one thing that I added to the to the quiver this year was the GPS thing, and it was amazing. I don't know, you know, how how I survived without it, honestly, and and uh, it's pretty cool. And then also, you know, just as far as the GPS plug, anyway, is you know I've been running late season, no bells, no no beepers, no nothing, just running totally quiet on my dogs late season here and I'm not taking anybody out any guide uh, clients or anything like that so um, I have the luxury to do that I don't worry about anybody keeping track of my dogs and I've noticed a significant uh, change in how birds react to the dogs um, I found that the birds and and you know I'm I'm associating it with the GPS and being silent but um, it could be time of year it could be a lot of different things but the birds have really held tight for me and I've gotten some of the best dog work I've ever had all year long um, just running it on GPS, and then I have no concern with finding a dog on point and and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you, Nick, have you found that uh, with your GPS when you run silent or a beeper or whatever? Do you notice any difference? I know for me, I feel like they hold tighter, but yeah. So I, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of talk about that, and um, certainly a lot of opinions. I honestly can't really provide an opinion on that, mainly because I never run silent. Um, and for me, it's, I have, I have all the confidence in the world in my GPS. And if I wanted to run silent, I absolutely could, but I am just hung up on the fact, at least for the time being that, uh, you know, where you hunt too, but where I hunt is I'm always in wolf country and there are always wolves around. And there's a, there's a lot of discussion about this topic too. And, you know, whether or not a bear, a bell will scare wolves off um and or or whether it will bring them in which i personally feel is is i i feel like that's kind of urban legend and i'm sure i could be somebody has a story that could prove me wrong but all that to say i run a bell and i haven't had any wolf encounters yet and so until that changes or something else happens i'm probably going to continue doing that and and also to say that i get enough productivity out of my hunts and and have enough birds pointed I don't know if it's, you know, I, I certainly think that a lot of people want to talk about whether or not the bell affects the birds at all. I'm of the opinion that birds can hear, and they can hear the bell. Yep. Now, we don't know exactly what their reaction to that bell is going to be, but if the dog was completely silent and came up on that bird like lightning and pointed it, I mean... You know, it's it's hard to say exactly what a bird is going to do, but you can't say that a bell has zero effect because birds can hear and they can hear the bell. It's it's how they how they behave and how they react to it is is certainly debatable. Um, but you know, it would be it would be interesting if we could do some kind of a controlled scientific study to really prove. But I uh, I have a hard time believing that's that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, 
I, I wanted to circle back because I know what GPS caller you have. You have the Dogtra Pathfinder, correct? Yep, yeah, I picked up the Pathfinder. Okay. Well, let's just shameless plug for Dogtra because I know they've they've at least done a little work with, with Project Upland. And, sure. And uh, I haven't had my hands on it. I have been super curious about the Dogtra Pathfinder for one reason specifically, and that is the fact that it's a GPS caller that uses the power of your smartphone. And, you know, with with so many people carrying smartphones in the woods, I use it. I use it while I'm hunting in a number of different facets, whether it be for mapping or satellite imagery. Um, you know, there's so much power in these devices, and they're only going to get more powerful. So I was really excited to see a manufacturer like Doctra take that into consideration, build a collar that can harness the power of a device that, you know, eight, nine, ten, nine out of ten of us are already carrying and, and apply that towards towards hunting. And what it does, ultimately, it saves the consumer money because they, don't, they only have to buy the collar. They don't have to buy a GPS, you know, handheld receiver unit. So I'll let you take it a little bit and just kind of give us your experience with the Dr. Pathfinder and, and uh, you know, what you've seen this season. Yeah, it's. I was kind of torn because I've I've seen a lot of the different GPS ones and heard the horror stories and I've heard the you know the praises sung towards them and stuff and and I'm I'm exactly like you in that you know hey I'm taking my phone anyway so if I can use a device that's gonna be able to harness the power of that or just provide that interface um, I, I'm all for that and and that kind of piqued my interest when I saw that and did some research on it and all as anybody would do and um it's like what i heard for the most part but you know there's no no substitute for getting it in the woods and trying it and thankfully i was able to get a couple of people that had some experience in the woods to tell me that they were pretty pretty positive with it so so i pulled the trigger on it this uh summer and actually with the whole fall um i've i've, I've ran it every every single day and to start with i ran a lot of uh, beeper collars and bells and stuff and early season especially um, in tandem but I'm currently in pretty much the whole half of the season I ran exclusively on the Pathfinder only um, overall I'm extremely happy with it I've had fantastic uh, reception and I've had not real. I mean there's very few bugs I'm not running into times where my dog's you know seven miles this way or whatever and um it's it's been very usable. It has good mapping, like you mentioned. Um, I can overlay different uh, layer layer types over on the maps. Um, I can look at overheads of my dogs. I can look at the compass, like most GPSs GPS systems have. You know, where you can look at your compass and see your dogs off your your compasses, and as a variety of settings on pointing and treeing and all that kind of stuff. Um, it is the one that I have. I got the one with the the stem capability too. I think they have one that's just a track only, um, but I have the stim that works very well too. It's very intuitive when you're using it on your smartphone as far as stim levels and which dog you're on and, and memory to keep which you know every dog's different. I have my my big tough 70 pound English Setter male takes the lowest stim setting I can possibly give him and he'll start whining on it because he's a baby and my little tiny young females, you know, I have to practically turn the thing, whole thing all the way up to get her attention, you know, and <laughs> and, uh, and it remembers all that, and, and it's it's a very usable device. Uh, the smartphone uh, connects up to a GPS uh, antenna, essentially, a receiver that you just hang around your neck or clip on your vest, 
Um, it doesn't have a screen on it or anything. It's got like two buttons on it. And so you, you pair it by Bluetooth to your phone. Um, and then you use your phone, uh, runs the Dogtra app on it and you can download offline maps on it. And so you don't have to have any, uh, internet or service to, for it. You can, I run my phone on airplane mode so that it's not looking for any cellular stuff. Um, and it has the maps all downloaded onto it, you know, within the, the app itself. And so I run it completely offline. So the battery life is phenomenal, um, on my phone and, uh, works really slick. The, with a smartphone screen, obviously you need to be able to swipe on it and mess with it there. So the biggest thing that people would, you know, talk to me about is, well, do you wear gloves? You know, most supplementers wear gloves while they're hunting. Yeah. And I've never been a huge glove fan. I, I mean, I do wear gloves, but it's not a deal breaker for me. But, you know, simple solution, snip the thumbs off or snip the thumb off of a glove. I mean, that's simple solution right there. Um, and, you know, it depends on the, how, how much uh, handling your dog needs, really. You might, and my dogs, I, I'm pretty pretty hands-off with my dogs, um, so I'm not, it's not as big of a of a deal where I have to go back and forth from my screen or whatever, but... But um, it, it works very well, and it you know utilizes, like I said, the smartphone, and which is which is great. Like you said, you always have it on you. You're always gonna have it out anyway. Um, it's got good range, and everything's good. My only gripe, and if for whatever reason doctor would hear it, is that they have it only. No matter how many dogs you run, you only can have one dog that has a point notification. So if you have three dogs on the ground, you can only select one of them that's gonna notify you when they're on point. So you can tell when they're on point if you look at the screen, but you don't have any audible notification when any of the other dogs are on point. That's my my only gripe with the, the unit. And to me, it would be a quick, easy software fix, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they patch that in on an app. And that's the other beauty is with it being an app on your phone, it's way easier for Dogtra to run patches and updates to update the software and maybe add new features or correct any issues that there might be and stuff. Whereas a, you know, a handheld GPS unit is going to be a lot harder to update and you're going to have to load firmware in it and whatever, all that stuff. But, but, um, yeah, it's, I've been very happy with it so far. I really like it. And the other mega, mega plus is the price. It's way cheaper. Like you said, you're not buying a whole handheld GPS unit. Um, it's just essentially a Bluetooth GPS receiver that you pair to your phone. And so I think I paid 400 bucks for the receiver and the collar, which you can pay that for just a regular beeper collar and a receiver. So, um, that was pretty cool and added another collar in and, and it's, I mean, I haven't looked back since things, great works really well and yeah i love it i'm looking forward to to getting out in some big country with it and seeing what it can do too cool excellent yeah it's great to uh great to hear your your uh, experience with it i have uh i knew that you had it i know a few other people that had it. i haven't really uh actually talked to anybody that had used it and you've had it out for a season so it's uh good to get some early feedback on that it was certainly a product that i was following and you know you hit on a couple things Big big thing uh, for sure is is you know the ability for Dogtra to go in and update that app and you know our phones are you know hooked up to Wi-Fi all the time and we're always updating apps anyway so that's that's a nice you know uh, paved avenue for them to sort of get you that stuff uh, so they can support the support the the product you know after the purchase which is very cool. Um, and then you know the other the other real big benefit that they have is using the smartphone for 
the display is that the display on a smartphone is is going to blow most GPSs out of the water, um, and and that's you know I, I find myself you mentioned something else about you know wearing gloves and not having it's very dog dependent, but how much you have to really handle your dog. I find that you know I, I'm looking at the satellite imagery on my phone, like just as far as where I want to go, way more than I'm than I'm really looking at my GPS, just because my dog handles very well. So if you've got a dog that that handles well and you're not, you, I, I don't really like to make corrections in the field. I very rarely have to. I guess knock on wood. Um, yep. But you know, so if you've got a dog like that and really the phone is just going to kind of act as a viewer for you and and in that sense um it's hard to beat it's hard to beat most most smartphones that people are operating with so that's very cool um let's see we talked about the timber rocket film oh i want to let's uh let's just chat a little bit about you've kind of hinted at a couple times here you hunt with english setters um so you you obviously got into pointing dogs along the way somewhere. Um, was that your first experience? You know, when you when you were pheasant hunting when you were younger, did you guys have dogs? You know, what kind of led you down that path? Yeah, my my parents actually when I was younger they uh, actually showed Weimaraners and they're a pointing breed, and so we would inevitably because we had Weimaraners that were they were show dogs, but. But uh, we we spent a lot of time in the field with those as well. So yeah, some of my fondest memories when I was younger, upland hunting, were you know walking up on a Weimaraner locked up on a big rooster pheasant, you know, and and I watched a lot of birds go down over some of my my dad's old dogs, and and so that kind of left an impression on me. And um, I when I was twelve, I bought a, a pointing lab, you know, because we know there's lots of pointing labs out there. Um, but I got a pointing lab and she ended up being a fantastic pheasant dog and she was, she was a great dog. Uh, I loved her. She never pointed a bird in her life, but, um, she, she was a great, great bird dog and, and I really enjoyed it. She wasn't a, and I had her when I moved north to the grouse country and she was a worthless grouse dog. She just, you know, nothing, nothing against, uh, labs, labs make fantastic grouse dogs, but she wasn't one of them. Um, and so actually I got out of grouse hunting quite a bit. I, I made a lot of pheasant trips, um, with her. And after she was gone, uh, I went a few years actually when I did have a dog, I just never even bird hunted and I got way into, into actually bow hunting, um, big game muleys and, and whitetail and stuff. Um, and the kind of, that call to the, to the grouse woods kind of came ringing after a while. And, and I was like, you know, I'm going to. I want to get another dog, and and the grouse numbers were high, um, and I actually went hunting with a, a friend of mine, and we saw just walking without dogs. We saw I don't even I don't even know how many birds. Just walking trails, we probably saw twenty twenty to thirty birds in an hour or two. It was unbelievable. One of the best grouse hunting days I'd ever had in my life. Um, and we actually shot one bird that went down, and it was a as most grouse hunters have had the same experience a a wingtip bird and he hit the ground running and we tried to find him and recover him and we just weren't able to we we spent you know half hour 45 minutes just circling and circling and circling and circling and we never were able to recover the bird and and i walked out of there saying i'm going to get a bird another bird dog i can't do i'm not going to do that again and actually a month later i bought my first english setter which is wren and she's on the she's on the project upland film and i still have her she's 
uh, one of the best grouse dogs I've hunted behind. Thankfully, um, she's mine, so I got to hunt behind her all the time. But um, she's okay. she's a great dog. She's a great dog, and um, the my first season with her. Um, actually, a lot of the a lot of the commentary on our on our Project Upland film was related to that first season that we went out and found the woodcock for the first time. Um, that was my first experience with woodcock, and and Ren put on a show for us and. And it's hard to not want to have uh, pointers for the rest of your life when you get into a good flight of woodcock with a with a good pointing dog. Um, it's just something to see, as you know, Nick. I mean, it's a lot of mirrors. It's it's pretty amazing, you know, when you when you can get behind that, and and it's hard to walk away from that and go any other way. And so since then, I've picked up a couple of more more pointers. Like you said, I I have English setters and. And I'm an admitted English setter snob, and I bash on on all the other breeds, even though they're they're great breeds. But but uh, <laughs> when you have English setters, you know you gotta you gotta you just I don't know it just comes comes with it. I don't know what it is, but but um, most English setter and English setter guys that I know have a little bit of a of a high nose on them. But um, I I uh, just like our dogs. Yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um yeah she. I don't know. I don't think I could ever uh, have another dog breed. Honestly, I just I just love my setters, and there's there's some great ones. I've hunted behind some phenomenal GSPs and and pointers and and uh, other dogs and stuff. And but uh, yeah, English setters are are kind of my love. I just man, I I love it. My my old one, she hooked me when she uh, when I had her the first couple of years. She's she's something else. Yeah, that's uh it's you know, it's always fun to talk about. I have uh I had have had the pleasure of uh hunting over your dog Ren as well and uh that was that was my dog's first season really, so he was just yep. a pop and I really I had no idea what I was even in for. So when uh Garrett and I drove out that way and, and met up with you and got to uh got to see a, a dog that was a few years ahead on, on the uh, development curve pointing pointing Woodcock, I mean it was it was it was eye opening to me. Um, that was, she was probably one of the, well, she was the, probably like the second or third setter that I had hunted with. Um, but, but yeah, to see, uh, to see a good dog work, it's cool. And, you know, again, it's, it's, we can, we can laugh and joke about, about the breeds and it's always fun to, uh, to talk about, but you know, there's, there's different dog breeds, just like there's over-unders and side-by-sides and pumps and, and there's something for everybody. And, and I think you guys, um, uh, you know, over over anybody else would be you know there's there's a, a, a level of freedom in how you approach upland hunting that everybody can you know you can put your own spin on it your own twist and and do it in a way that that you get satisfaction out of and you know again like like Adam said in the video like you don't have to wear a plaid shirt but if you want to do it you don't have to smoke a pipe but if you want to go yep. for it I mean it's it's really uh, it's everybody every upland hunter's individual choice and and i think you guys kind of tell that in just about everything you do yeah yep. he's he uh the only the only misguided thing is he wants to get a wire hair and i'm trying to talk i'm trying my best to talk him out of it <laughs> but i don't know we'll see see if i can change his mind on it <laughs> yeah the uh the great dog debate it's, uh, <laughs> that's it's, it's always uh always fun to talk about i've got uh got a, a, a partner of mine that he uh he's he's thinking about his second dog and he's not sure which way he's going to go so we uh 
I give him a few a uh, few nudges, you know, in one way in particular, and and he's uh, he comes up with some ideas of his own too. But uh, I do know it's funny you mentioned. I don't. You probably told me the story about uh, the Weimariners, but I didn't remember that. Um, I know there's a there's a, a buddy of mine over in Wisconsin. He's a regular listener of the podcast, and he's uh, he's got a couple of good great grouse hunting Weimariners. So I I know when he listens to this, he'll. Uh, He'll at least uh, have a smile on his face that uh, knowing uh, Aaron and the Modern Wild Boys got their start over wine, so very cool. Um, man, we covered a lot. I think uh, I think we've uh, we've covered most of it. I hope people got a sense of uh, Aaron and and Adam Regeer of, of Modern Wild, and and I hope they check out the Timber Rocket film. I, do you guys uh, you guys have anything else you wanna you wanna add before we uh, say goodnight here? Uh, we just hope everybody enjoys it, and we're just glad to be be a part of it, and and uh, we're thankful to like AJ and Project Upland and all those guys over there, and 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 then you Nick, obviously for doing the podcast, just for putting in the time and stuff. I mean, we know as good as anybody that it takes a lot of time to do that stuff, and and just from all the films that they're doing, you know, it's just a good good plug for the sport and getting people into it, and so you know we appreciate it. We really appreciate that from from all those guys over there, and. And uh, we're we're grateful to be able to be a part of it, and hope people enjoy watching it. Yep, appreciate the appreciate that, Aaron and and uh, Adam, and certainly uh, we uh, we hope to see you guys, you know, continue to uh, keep doing what you're doing and and keep developing. I know I'm always excited to see what what Modern Wild is going to come out with next, and and uh, you know, there's a mutual appreciation here, and that you know we. Uh, we're, we're all on the we're all on the same team, the Upland Hunting team, and, and uh, relatively speaking, it's a pretty small team. So we could uh, we can use some more players on it, and I think um, you know this podcast and and the stuff that you guys do, and the stuff that a lot of other people are doing to share the enjoyment and the the passion that that we all have for it, it I think goes a long ways in in uh, you know gearing towards that next generation and, and recruiting new hunters. So I think. Uh, yeah, like like we both said, it's a it's a mutual appreciation, and uh, we need more of it for sure. So uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you guys. Um, thank you very much for coming on the Project Upland podcast. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, get after it this weekend. I'll be out in the woods. It looks like it's gonna be looks like it's gonna be a good one. So uh, we'll uh, we'll look forward to hearing how you guys do, and uh, best of luck the rest of the way for you. Yeah, sounds good. Good luck to you, too, Nick. Should be a good weekend. Yep, see ya. All right, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Aaron. You guys take care. Hey, everybody. Nick Larson with the Project Upland Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you again for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that, as always, we are brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Krause Camp. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Please don't hesitate to contact us via projectupland.com or by emailing me directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. 
Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.